This town is only big enough for one asshole. And that asshole is me. Hey, this is it. Welcome. We have made it to episode 50. Whoa. This is pretty <coughs> obscene, I think. This is more obscene than anything. We shouldn't be at episode 50 and still going with this, but apparently we are. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, as such, we have a pretty full episode, and we also want to kick off October with, uh, I don't know, I, the, we're going to be talking about some movies that are really dear to me. I like them too. Yeah, I've noticed. I, I, from your your ridiculous cackling while we were watching them, I noticed you quite <laughs> enjoyed them. Yeah, uh, we are talking about the Evil Dead series. It's just everything Evil Dead. It's going to be so evil and so dead that you know, like, I'm already excited. Uh, with us today, we have some guests, uh, some really good close friends of mine from we go quite a ways back. And uh, we have all sort of expressed mutual loves for Evil Dead as well as just horror in general at different times. So it's uh, figured it was appropriate. Yeah, why don't you introduce yourselves? I'm Chris. I'm Kelsey. And thank you so much for being here today. So uh, as per usual, we're going to ask some questions at you and hopefully you'll have some answers for us. Yeah, yeah. questions at. So this is a horror podcast, but it's also... A queer podcast in that it's queer horror cult ta-da, and all that stuff so um i was wondering if you would feel comfortable talking about maybe what queerness means for you in your lives yeah it is like everything to a degree and yet like also the most casual thing that i don't know how to talk about it because it's just like so present I guess it's uh, a work in progress. I identify as like bi or pan, depending on my mood or who I'm talking to. Mm. And they, them, most of the time, but like gender, mm-hmm. I just kind of like whatever. It's a thing that I'm like, I don't know, I'd rather not deal with. So whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or at least not in like, you know, on a personal level, not a like fuck everybody in their gender way. Cause you know, right, that's, of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, well, I identify as bi, and I'm going through the phase where I am like finally accepting myself. Um, like, like I, I struggled a lot when I was younger, like dealing with you know like family issues and stuff. And I'm, I'm now going through that phase that a lot of people maybe went through early on where they were like, oh, this is what I like and this is what I'm into. And I feel like I'm really only just starting to get into that, mm-hmm. like allowing myself that space, dealing with like previous issues. So it's been, I'm going through like the enlightenment period of my- The honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of like of my own um, identity and how, how I feel and where I stand. Yes, honeymoon's not the best term. No, I, I I choose enlightenment because it's positive, it's uplifting, and it's just like 
it's a good thing. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, congrats. That's uh, yeah, I love to. I, I know how heavy it can be Ugh. to just. I think we all have been there. You know, just trying to figure it out. Hell, I know I'm still trying to figure stuff out. So I can appreciate that. Plus, you know, you're in the Enlightenment period. means you you get to really look forward to the Renaissance, which is just going to be, like, <laughs> totally nuts. The rebirth. <laughs> Lots Minus. of bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the thing, eh? Our lives are kind of like, there is a lot that has been changing in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Lots on the go. So, like... Yeah identity is like holy fuck like time to sit and reflect on such stuff yeah i wish it came up a little bit more but you know c'est la vie Uh i I feel like not to to totally to my own horn but one thing that's great way if you want to talk about queerness and being queer is you start a podcast where you can just (laughs) talk into the void and someone might listen (laughs) Yeah, it's not just for, for cis white men anymore. No. We podcast not. too. Yeah. Well, I guess that's part of why we're here too. Because we've been like, we've known that this has been a thing for a while. Well, wasn't weren't aware that it was 50 episodes. <laughs> yeah. But aware there was a lot. You know? Yeah, aware yeah. that there, there was a sizable number. Mm-hmm. And that it was this thing that you guys do all the time. And just never got hadn't gotten around to getting involved in it yet yeah and i suppose that is where we find ourselves mm-hmm. yeah that's uh it's like i said it is great to have you on and mm-hmm. any excuse to just sort of work through like queer community and stuff i think even if it's off the back of horror or it's like even if you don't want to extricate the two um i still think it's just cool to be able to have that space Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what got you into horror? I think mine just happened by chance. Uh, my dad showed me uh, John Carpenter's The Thing when I was like five. Oh, nice. <laughs> and and I it like it wasn't on purpose. Like I I don't quite remember. I just remember that it stuck with me, and it terrified me. And I had nightmares, and I was really scared of huskies for quite a while after. Um, and now then you it just yeah. So now bad. I want one so bad. Um, <laughs> but, it led to just this fascination of like this intensity that I couldn't find another film. And it just dealt with a lot of subject matter that you wouldn't get in another film either. And it's half the time it's fun, half the time it's thought provoking. So it's, it's like a combination of both that I absolutely love. I think Lori got me into horror, like mm. not directly, but pretty friggin' close. And it was, I was actually thinking about this. I can't remember exactly if it was the first one we watched was Evil Dead 1 or 2. But I I so vividly remember, like, being exposed to this. And, of course, I'd seen, like, other horror movies before. But that these, I was like, oh, fuck. These, these stand out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I was like, that movie got me into fucking horror. Yeah, totally. Evil Dead. Watching that in your basement, like the mood was just right. And I don't know, the stars aligned. That was the movie. And then I was hooked ever since. And it helped that I had your collection and expertise at my disposal for so, so, so many years. Mm-hmm. So like, really, it's it's you. Well, I, I find that funny because it's it's looped around to the point where 
I felt like there was a long time you were exposing me to more stuff than I was exposing you, especially newer movies, because I kind of fell out with watching a lot of new stuff for a while. And then you'd be like, this movie is great. Go see this movie. And student became the teacher. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Had a very symbiotic thing going on for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. As you know, we here at Queer Horror Cult, think that horror is extremely queer as a genre and it's like it's intrinsically so uh is there any way that you think of horror as queer or like is there something that strikes you as queer about the genre no matter the horror movie there's always a way to make an argument that there's something queer going on because there's always like where's the fear come from like that just the concept of how fear works and whatever and that how it gets played upon, preyed upon. There's always symbols going on somewhere that's like, in one way, shape, or form, could be extrapolated into queerness. Be it straight up monster or, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the fear of the unknown and queerness are just sort of, there's just this common ground there that like maybe horror exploits it in a way that's just weirdly relatable. Well, I think... Oh, like I completely agree with Chris 100% on everything they're saying. And I always found, when I put a lot more thought into this, that when horror deals with sexuality, because it often embraces it, and while there are a lot of movies out there, especially um, a lot of current ones where it's like, oh, yeah, the chick had sex, of course she has to die. Like, there's that part of it, but that it also embraces the sexuality, and it's trying to, it doesn't always try to hide it, that it's like, yeah, people have sex and they have it a lot. And it's also playing on the fact that it's like, yeah, but then those people who have sex, they're bad. We need to get rid of them. And I feel like that in itself is kind of this weird queer commentary that yeah, is kind of being this- addressed now to a degree that it's like, oh, that's bad. So we should get rid of it. Like it has to go. It's wrong. It doesn't fit. But we're still happy to gawk at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And then, like, commonly, you so often have gendered violence in one way, shape, or form. So you're commenting on, like, that aspect of society. Oh, hey, what do you know? If we were all queer, we wouldn't have this. Okay, oversimplification. But (laughs) we would not have this violence. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, we'll get into that when we talk about we had some thoughts about evil death with that too, but how it's often the women, if the women want sex and they're interested, they have to go. Like you can't, like you can't explore, you can't learn and try out something different. It's like, Ooh, you don't do that. You have to leave now. You're, you're not right. And you're subjugated <clears throat> yeah. so often in that sense. Yeah. It's a lot of gender stuff. Yeah. So I think horror deals with a lot of queer without yeah. maybe people realizing it. Was there a particular moment in horror that made you, or that you felt was your root, as we like to call yeah, it, or what root. made you queer? Like, it kind of contributed, or like, those made moments you that you just things. have that hang on, I'm having a feeling here. What is this feeling? Yeah. Should I explore it further? I think mine was Videodrome. Oh, yeah. It, if it wasn't Videodrome, it was probably something else by Cronenberg. Hmm. Like, I know Naked Lunch comes up, but there were ones before that. The Fly, po- quite possibly. Yeah. I couldn't even say what what about those. Just, like, the mind-expanding concepts within. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, my God. 
I don't have to do things this way or I don't have to do things that way. I can just (laughs) (laughs) insert the uh, gif from scanners of the guy's head exploding (laughs) like right there. Straight up, straight up. I, okay, for me, I have two films and neither are necessarily like really horror. That's cool. That's fine. Uh, But the first one is Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah. Mm. That was pretty damn spooky. It is. There was a lot of sexuality in it, and I found myself very attracted. I, I always wanted to watch the women more than the men. Mm-hmm. You know, when Rico, you see his mask or that's just you awful. pervert. Um, but I, was, <laughs> I remember watching that and just being like, oh, okay, I'm kind of into these guys, like these women here. And then the biggest thing that I think really affected me in a good way was Wild Things. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, that movie really, really got to me. And it was just like, hmm, I should look into this more. <laughs> I enjoyed this. Sorry, I was just going to say, are we talking the Niv Campbell, Denise Richards? Yes. Yes, okay. Super into both of them. And just finding like, oh, I really like Niamh Campbell. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think that really kind of opened my mind to, huh, okay, I... Like. <laughs> so, chicks. Huh. Isn't it funny too? Because I swear, like, Wild Things is often cited as one of those films that's like very male gazy. And like, mm-hmm. oh my God, yes. look at what it's doing. The male gaze is turning <laughs> women onto women too. It's accidentally turning itself against itself. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, that, that, that that's one of my things I don't like about a lot of male gaze criticism. Like, I think that's, it's so prevalent and like over, like there's so much male gaze stuff that's really problematic, but it doesn't leave enough nuance to talk about lesbian gaze or women on desiring women kind of thing. Like, like you're using the wild things example. It's, it, it implies heterosexuality for the, for the way the gaze is coded. I think that's sort of what you're you're getting at and but it's giving the male gaze like way too much credit yeah <laughs> yeah that, that sometimes, like, yeah that sometimes a gaze is a gaze and like it's just gaze. it's it can be it's up to the viewer's interpretation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well thank you so much for answering our boilerplate interview questions uh you're both hired so that's pretty sweet but i guess uh we should probably get into the the meat of the t- today's topic and this is evil dead I've said this before, I've said it right on the first episode of the show, uh, but The Evil Dead, the first one from 1981, is my all-time favorite movie. It's. Uh, I wonder how much of that is nostalgia at this point for like gr- having grown up on it kind of thing, or um, if, like, it's hard, it's hard to separate it from, this is my favorite movie, and then I watch it, and it's like, oh yeah, there's a lot of flaws here, but I love those about the movie. Like, it's hard not to embrace them. For, for what they are. I was interested in horror when I first saw it, but it was the one that got me interested in horror filmmaking because of their shoestring budget can-do attitude. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, have these clowns made a movie? <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Let me think about that. As a clown. Sorry? I said, as a clown. <laughs> as a fellow clown. <laughs> and they can do it with those shoes? Oh. I don't know what that voice is, but whatever. <laughs> I think it's great. Add a little bit of vaudeville to the proceedings. (laughs) So we'd all seen Evil Dead before, yeah? Like, this wasn't a first time. Did anyone watch something they hadn't seen before for this episode? No. 
Okay, okay. I think I paid a little more attention to the credits this time, but I don't mm. think that's exactly what you're getting at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite. Not quite, not quite. All right, did you want to recap the basic premise of Evil Dead for the like one person out there who's never seen or heard of this fucking movie? I mean, I've I've only seen it three or four times instead of like 20,000, so but I appreciate you nominating me for the honor. <laughs> some teens go out to a cabin in the woods, uh, find out that some funky shit went down, find an old uh, book made out of human flesh and ri- with writings in blood in ancient Sumerian that uh, they quickly realize can summon demons and shit, and shit hits the fan, and Ashy Slashy saves the day. Except in the first one, can you really say that Ash saved the day? Because he got bested by bad Ikea furniture. Like, how many times does he get knocked into a bookshelf and then a little flimsy shelf falls on him? Well, and it's just like, oh. in spite of that, he perseveres. He perseveres, yeah. Yes. He doesn't really save the day because everyone else is fucking dead. the hero that we dead. deserve. Oh, okay. And what's great is you can more or less recycle that description for three of the four movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we won't have to recap most of the movies, which is great. <laughs> But it's it's interesting. It's such a simple setup, and it's one that has been copied and used. And like this is sort of the quintessential cabin in the woods movie. Whereas I believe Sam Raimi said when he was making it that he was just ripping off Night of the Living Dead, where it's people trapped in the farmhouse with zombies trying to get in. He's mm-hmm. like, I just did like the demonic possession version of that, and so. It's like this original concept that when you actually pick it apart, it's like, no, not really. (laughs) That would be an interesting, like, double feature. Mm -hmm. Damn. Damn, now I want to do that. See, anything that can give these films new perspective is always welcome. Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys. When I first saw this movie, it kind of fucked me up. And I think I've told bits of the story on here, but... I'd seen Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, and I finally got around to renting the first one. And uh, I kind of didn't fill in to my mom that it was uh, the horror movie version of the other ones. Like, more horror, more straight ahead, more extreme. Less slapstick somehow. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think it's slapstick in a very different way. But um, it's the extreme one. It's the... uh, the one that was banned and almost prosecuted in England is a video nasty. Uh, I, I left all of that out when I had heard about this movie and I got my mom to rent it for me. And so I watched it with her. And that was a fucking mistake to, to do that when I was like just hitting my teens. And it's like, I think there's a certain scene in there that we all know what I'm referring to. That watching that with my mom was the most uncomfortable fucking thing that has ever happened. I'm sure at this point, though, in your relationship, it makes for interesting conversation. That or you just don't talk about it. No, she uh, (laughs) says, uh, with great chagrin, like always rolling her eyes, talks about how I was such a good mother. I took you to all the shitty movies that you wanted to see. (laughs) As she puts it. Uh, But this movie has kind of an unprecedented level of violence for something that it plays it so goofy. But at the same time, it's so in your face with how extreme it is like i know that's how i took it when i first saw it i hadn't seen anything like that before so i watched it a second time without my mom and that movie kind of fucked me up like i wasn't i knew what was coming but it was just like it felt like should i be watching this kind of thing and like now it's just you know it's popcorn movie for me at this point but it was sort of like an entry point into more extreme cinema for me 
Yeah, same same here. Uh, that movie really like I remember it very similarly to you that it just was this super extreme, violent as all hell movie like that messed me up for quite a while. That was like I don't want to watch extreme things; these don't feel good. But now you know, watching it again so recently, I was trying to v- view it through that lens again to rekindle that sort of like what about this was so extreme. I mean now. I've seen so many things that like it doesn't seem extreme at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it fucking is, but you it's... know, seen far far worse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, context. Exactly. Yeah. Like when so many like when you guys are talking about that, and it's like, oh, I, it was so extreme when I saw it. I was I was late into Evil Dead. I saw it like I think a year before Chris and I met. And, like, I saw the first and the second back-to-back. For context, that <clears throat> was over a decade ago. Yeah, that was, like, <laughs> Oh, wow. Ago. Wow. Um, yeah, it's been 12 years. Um, but um, I remember watching the first one and being like, oh, I don't see what all of the, the hype is about. Right. And I didn't give the first one its credit. Like, I, I remember just being like, eh. Like, it was fun, but... I don't like whatever. I like the second one more, but then as I got more into horror, I gained the appreciation of what evil dead did and how it was made. And I think that was something that really helped is learning how the first one was made and the amount of money that was put into it, which wasn't much and the amount of work these guys had to do to actually create this film. And it just never occurred to me that like, this looks really good. And they didn't spend that much money on it. And they, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that they did too, they did it on a whim. It was the first time they had done this thing or that thing and they did it and it looked incredible. And it took me a while to gain that appreciation though. But yeah, it was <clears throat> on that violence. Like mm-hmm. it, I thinking about that, the violence has an impact because, or had an impact because like it, you see it at that time where it's like the first, really out there movie with the violence uh but then if you saw it later on and don't have that historical context or whatever other contexts for it like it's easy to dismiss it yeah which is a shame yes if if one does because hot diggity i don't mean that I've learned the error of my ways. Uh, uh, you came to this one pretty late as well, yeah. right? Yeah, we watched it together for the first time, probably within a, a year of dating. I would yeah. guess. I imagine you showed. You probably showed it to me like that Halloween kind of, th- or that well, October probably. at least. Probably. Um, <laughs> how did it play for you? Because you, you'd already seen a lot of horror. And a yeah, lot of I know. Very stuff. similarly to Kelsey, for sure. Where I was kind of like, oh, that like that was fun, but I don't know if I get it per se. Like, because you're like, this is my favorite movie ever, and I was like. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and it was definitely, yeah, yeah. And then um, with between rewatching it and like like you said, learning more about sort of how it was made and what went into it and the people behind it, my appreciation has grown mm. a bajillion fold. Just because I I know that um, as we've said on the podcast before, we watched Solo before we ever watched <laughs> this together, and I think that is a much harsher fucking movie to mm. sit through. Yeah, that was the first time we ever hung out, like, at, like, we just watched Solo. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I wanted to see it, but I was too chicken shit to watch it alone. <laughs> yeah. And like you talked about like, oh yeah, I'd seen Serbian film. I watched it on my phone. It was, no, it was on my iPod classic. Oh, your iPod classic. That's even better. Because <laughs> the screen is like half the size. <laughs> I think something of seed happened, but I can't quite tell on this inch wide screen. That's amazing. Oh. Yeah. oh shit with the violence as i mentioned this was a video nasty i've uh talked about that we did a whole episode talking about that and getting into blood feast um this was the only one or one of the only ones that the company that released it rather than uh, bending to the will of the censors they went to court they're like no we're gonna stand by releasing this movie and we don't think it's illegal or it should be considered like obscene in a legal way and uh i believe sam raimi had to like go and testify for his movie talk about like you know point out i based a lot of the gore gags on three stooges bits like (laughs) how offensive can this movie be like the scene when all the blood's draining and everywhere he based that on this uh three stooges episode where they're plumbers inexplicably because they always have different jobs and stuff and so like the blood leaking out of the electric socket and filling the light bulb that was just gags of like the plumbing going awry in the house and water shooting out of places it wasn't supposed to and they just did the gore version of that just made it red yeah and it's It's like this is what you want to ban as obscene kind of thing (laughs) now uh and i'm sure this is going to spark a version of the film where you just have those three stooges sound effects just overlaid (laughs) Oh shit, I would love that. This is just chopping with the axe. (laughs) Why I gotta. (laughs) I really want to see this now. Fuck. So we've mentioned the way this movie was made, and it's so cool to. Like, this movie still stands out to me visually for the, the. like the cinematography, the way it's cut together, the way the scares are played and all that. Um, a lot of it has become cliche at this point, but there's still something kind of original about this one, I find, when watching it. And it's funny how they had to do that because like, there was no money, so it's like, what do we do that's innovative? and That we can't just throw cash at. Like, our innovation can't be a million dollars. Ha ha. There was a particular scene in this movie that always stuck with me knowing that it didn't have much of a budget and that scene is but that's my really bad drum roll um it's okay the uh the claymation stuff especially oh yeah i think there's a little bit at the beginning but like that big long scene towards the end like with the melting yeah with the melting and the the books like licking itself and it's fucking weird (laughs) as hell Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Like, that was up there against uh, Star Wars and the Battle of Hoth and, like, the Tauntauns, which is, like, everyone's like, oh, my God, this is the best it's ever been. And, like, Evil Dead on this shoestring friggin' budget was, like, up there next to this. I love the claymation (laughs) meltdown. It's, oh, I I can't stop grinning during that sequence (laughs) because it's just so ridiculous. That's, like, the best, too, like, in terms of, you know, like, you've gone through this just, this absolutely relentless journey, Mm -hmm. and then you get to that at the end, and it's, like, it's still crazy and messed up and whatever, but it's just, all of a sudden, you're, like, you're a little more chill. It brings it down, and you know that you can, like, oh, it's safe now. 
I can go out into the world and not be affected by how fucked up this movie is. <laughs> it, it is interesting how how they how it gets so fantastical after because some of the gore effects, uh, some of them are pretty cheap and you can see they're cheap, but some of them are pretty damn effective. Like I think of when Scotty's chopping up uh, his girlfriend with the axe, like that part, it still plays. It's still gross kind of thing. And yeah. uh, you see stuff like that compared to this really fantastical set piece at the end. Yeah, it doesn't undo it. Yeah, yeah. I found as well, like watching that scene with like, like the hacked up body parts and stuff. I think there's a couple where they're just like where the body parts are just twitching around. They twitch with such weightlessness that it's almost like off putting because of like, you know, an uncanny kind of feeling. Right. So, like, yeah, they really uh, they really do well with that budget. Yeah. Yeah. Super unsettling. Yeah. Well, and the and like one of the one of my favorite things with the first one that, of course, you get in all the other ones is the demon cam. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It's like it's so simple, but it's so effective and you don't have to show anything. You know, you don't need to show the thing that's chasing them or anything like that. You just get this creepy camera that's following and going through the forest and it goes over the water and it's just, it's in the house, like at the end of the movie, when it comes through the back and it breaks through the door and it goes at Ash. I love that shot. Yeah, it is so effective. And it's like, yeah, that's, I'm, I assume that's not, that expensive because you don't need to worry about putting anything else in front of it that changes it. It's just here's your camera, and then you can add the sound effect on later. Yeah, and it's, okay, it's a good use of sound too. Yeah, yeah. good sound. Yeah. Good combo. Well, that uh, that shot shows up throughout the entire series, like even through to the end of Ash vs Evil Dead. You still get even shots. In the remake. Yeah, it's they, in the remake. Yeah. They they uh, with the sounds too. And it just reminds me of the uh, POV shots from like earlier slasher movies, but adapted for this uh, this kind of thing. Because like this I'm amorphous thinking, demonic force. Yeah, like it's like you think like Black Christmas, where it opens with the guy crawling into the sorority house, and it's like the slow human version of that. But then you get this really like it's so, so much more extreme, but it doesn't play itself as cheap because like you know it's it's guys running through the wood with camera bolted to a two by four that they're just holding and running with right, like that's how they shot the first one and it's like you said it's so effective. Personally, I didn't find it as effective in the remake in the twenty thirteen one. I didn't find it as effective. Oh, then let's mm-hmm. we'll definitely talk about that mm-hmm. when we get to two thousand thirteen one particular shot that I, every time I see it, it just, it makes me so fucking happy is the shot where Ash gets out of the car and he's like walking sideways, like in front of the oh, car. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. That shot. So, like noir. Uh, and German so, expressionist. Yeah. Yes. Super disorienting. Well, the camera, what happened is they parked the car on a hill and then had the camera level with the car and the ground, so it looked flat. And then in he got out, he was, like, standing like this. So, like, he's level, but then, like, everything else is twisted. So yeah. It's like they use Dutch angles and canted angles so much in these movies that at this point they have to make the people canted angles, and it's like, that's so fucking great. Yeah. I love that about it. Like, when we were watching the first one, it's, it's the uh, German Expressionist one of yes. the series. Yes. Or most. Yeah. I suppose. Mm-hmm. If we must quantify things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to label them. 
you mentioned the gore in it and some of like how just how easy yet effective things were the pencil in the ankle Mm -hmm. that's about like the most brutal that has ever been done Mm -hmm. yeah that one's pretty nasty so well done like i remember when i went back and i watched that again it hit me of huh how did they do that and just watching it a few times and being like oh but they cut it so well like that looked like the actual ankle or could it have been a stand and it was kind of racking my head around just because they did the cuts really well. They must have stabbed this person. They just stabbed them for real. (laughs) Did they get paid more? No, No, not at all. Ooh, cheap way to do it too. I assume um, later on when they're kind of like melting, throwing up and stuff like that, that it's like you have the fake blood, but you also have things like milk. I was going to say, name me a movie like, yeah. That uses more milk cheap. than this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect and it's cheap and it's just you can get it everywhere. It's here, it, but it looks fucking creepy. It just it just adds to the weirdness. Like when, um, what is it, when Shelly gets stabbed through the back with the Kandarian dagger thing and falls over and it's just like spitting blood and then like shooting blood out of her stump. And then all of a sudden she spits this glob of milk out that goes all over it. It's just like, what the fuck am I seeing? <laughs> you know? I've never thought of this before, but the movie sort of predicts the ever-growing problem of lactose intolerance. <laughs> oh, a case study. <laughs> I like it. It's a, it's a PSA. Oh, God. <laughs> That'd be great to cut this into a PSA about lactose intolerance, where it's just someone chugging some milk, and it's like, <laughs> oh, no, the dairy, and then just, like, cut to that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a fun fact, if we want to throw <laughs> this in. Yeah. I don't know how many people, I mean, you could probably throw a ton in for all of them. But fun <laughs> fact that Joel Cohen was the assistant film editor on that. Yes. Yeah, of Cohen Brothers fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, actually when you see their first movie, Blood Simple, it owes a fair bit to Evil Dead. There's that sequence. We're talking about the demon cam shot. There's that sequence when um, Francis McDormand's like, shitty partner like attacks her as she's running out of the house and grabs her and the camera comes running up the lawn and it's just straight up that evil dead demon cam shot as it goes right into our face. Um, I believe they said as such the whole live burial thing in blood simple was inspired by a lot of the stuff going on in evil dead. Oh, Mm. cool. Well, I mean, I, I mean, from my understanding, they're still like quite good friends. So. Cause those are two directors, Sam Raimi and the, and the Coen brothers that we totally think of as being one in the same. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I feel like they both have the similar sense of humor, just working in very different ways within their movies. Like <laughs> look at something like Raising Arizona and it's it's got so much of the slapstick that's just like reminiscent of Sam Raimi, but it it doesn't feel like a Sam Raimi movie, of course. It's not, right? So The Coen brothers do Spider Man. I would watch that. Whereas I think like Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan probably strikes me as like being a Coen Brothers-esque kind of thriller. Huh. I don't know if you saw that one. Like I, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's of the same pedigree, but it has the plot. It's structured in a way it kind of reminds me of those Coen Brothers movies. All right. So Evil Dead 2 is often debated as being a remake of the first one, but not really, but sort of. I think of it like Evil Dead 
is the original. And then Evil Dead 2 is the Game of the Year edition with the expansion and <laughs> DLC added in already, where it's just like you got the core concept and then you got all the extra content that comes after it. Yeah, I, I, Pretty I much. yeah, but I mean, I struggled, I think, to kind of see because I was told, oh, they're just like it's like a remake. And I remember mm-hmm. watching them, like, because I watched them back to back. I didn't fully understand how it was a remake. I saw them as very, very different films. Yeah. Like, I felt like the beginning of the second one is this really loose, quick recap of the first one. And then I. In Vegas sense. Yeah, it's in a really vague sense. But then I always felt like the second one was just a different story. You got Ash's. I felt like Ash was quite different in the second one compared to the oh, first yeah. one. And then all of the other characters that we get are completely different. They're new characters. We're getting um, very different scenarios in the second one. You're getting, I mean, you're getting similar violence, um, but I still feel like they're two different movies. I think it's overall the same concept, but then maybe it was because you had more budget. You had the, he had more space to make what he wanted in the second one that maybe there was room to create something different. Like something more that he felt like he couldn't do with the first one. He says that he, like, it's his remake of the movie, that he was like, I didn't like this, I didn't like this, and Mm -hmm. then he did it his way. Yeah. Now that he could. Yeah. But I guess that's what makes remakes, good remakes, good, is that they aren't straight-up carbon copies of the original, that they do do something different. Yeah, because what's the point at that point? (laughs) Uh, The point is to make it so you can just listen and not have to read subtitles. Oh, right, right, I forgot. It's so you can can, uh, have a bunch of white people speak speak American. Speaking American, yeah. Um, It's uh, because early on in Evil Dead 2, you get this. You get the shot from the end of Evil Dead repeated, right? Where the camera whizzes through the cabin, then hits Bruce Campbell in the face. But then he gets picked up in this slapsticky way and carried through the trees, and he's just spinning around. <laughs> and it's like this weird fucking moment. Um, that's sort of like the dividing line between the first and the second in my mind, because it's like everything in the start of the second one is the most distilled version of the first. When we were watching the second one, we were watching it as like more template than than viewing it as like a sequel Mm. so if you see it as like a remake what does that then how does it like change stuff so you get ash yeah like we can get into this again of course but like how ash kind of does a lot of the stuff that i forget his name uh the blonde guy in the first one like how he picks up his girlfriend and then is like oh yeah well we got a berry oh scotty yeah. Scott. So then in the sequel, you have Ash's that. So you get like the insight into what Scotty was perhaps feeling in the first one that you just like because of the precedence of like this character literally hacks up their girlfriend. So you get like the exploration of what's going on in like the psyche of both sort of. That's interesting. It's almost like they collapse it in the second one. For the, because I mean, they collapse all the characters in the second one, don't they? Like the little intro, it's just uh, uh, Ash and one of the many Lindas, and that's everyone yes. else is like vacant. <laughs> yeah, and that only lasts for like three minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they uh, like recap. recap the first movie real fast, <laughs> and even then, it's like totally different because you don't have the rest of the cast. Mm-hmm. 
But it is it does play Ash as the main character more because mm-hmm. in the first one, other than that sly look he gives the camera at the very start when he's in the car and he's just like <laughs> Um Other than that, uh it plays more like your standard horror fare of like who's gonna survive, who's not kind of thing, and it's not as clear that Ash is obviously the hero. I mean, I knew he was obviously the hero. I'd seen the other two first, so I don't know if that plays today anymore, because everyone... If anyone knows anything about Evil Dead, it's Ash, right? Like, that's, like, why people go to these movies. Um, But it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I imagine in a more watching it in a vacuum the first one it's like who's the hero yeah, kind of thing whereas in evil dead 2 it's obvious that ash is the hero and he has that sort of cocksure bravado <laughs> like like he's got that ash that we all quote kind of thing like before he's sort of like this wet noodle of a person that's just like <laughs> i don't know what to do i don't know what to do and then stuff happens to him and he's like shit i gotta persevere whereas in this one it's just like you know he builds a chainsaw arm <laughs> He's, He's a lot like more resourceful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're getting a lot more of like that classic Ash confidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why you can take his entire arc of the first movie and distill it down to those like three to five minutes or whatever it is at the beginning of the second because he is just, he, he doesn't do anything. Just he just plays the faintest yeah. bit of a moral compass and that's about <laughs> it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think a big thing with the second movie, I kind of mentioned it before, was you can really tell they had more of a budget. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100% way more of a budget the second time around. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it does, like, it does help. It does make it, like, I think it helps make it a lot more fun. But I think that's, that is a reason why I think um, some people have liked the second one more. Um, because it's got more production value. It's, yeah, everything's bigger. Yeah, it does a lot more. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you can. I love how you can tell that they attracted some of the talent that they did behind the scenes, like how Greg Nicotero and his crew yeah. at the time was involved. Mm-hmm. Like you can so tell that there were people that were super fucking passionate about this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And didn't K and B effects form after this movie came out? Like it sort of grew from this, if I'm knowing my horror movie history correctly. I believe so. I think it did, yeah. KB Effects, for those not in the know, is like a big hitter for horror effects from like the late 80s through the 90s into the 2000s. And like Greg Nicotero, doesn't he do Walking Dead or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, so he's one of the big guys in it. So they're like the effects guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah his newest thing or whatever being um what is it the creep show tv show i think oh yeah 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 creep show coming to a shutter yeah evil at two is definitely a lot more slapstick than the first one <laughs> or it plays the humor on Pins its it sleeve yeah uh this movie does not quit i notice as soon as it's especially this time when i was watching it like as soon as it starts it's one gag after another for the entire running time it just never gives up like the second something a scene is completed or something you're like okay a a reprieve from the madness something else ridiculous is happening like when he chops his hand off (laughs) the very next scene is him sticking the bucket on the hand and the hand crawling away in the bucket (laughs) and then escaping and then um he has that whole shtick where he's fighting the hand and then everything's laughing at him like right after it's just one beat after another and 
you don't really get a break from the madness of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite thing about the second one is how psychological it gets. Oh, yeah. Since it is predominantly, you know, since it is just Ash for the most part for such a chunk of it, how you, you get like the perspective of the demons like fucking with his head and toying with him and just how it's affecting him mm-hmm. and like his sanity like how when the room comes to life it cuts immediately to him almost taking like the head off of the house owners knocking on the door right that like the that abrupt like was he is he crazy did that actually happen or like it plays with that kind of thing like so much i love that yeah it's super psychological compared to the first one mm-hmm. yeah yeah i had considered that that's uh a good point because like they come into the picture like the by they I mean the other inhabitants of the cabin they come into the picture and just assume he's completely insane at this point and uh from their perspective it's understandable to see why but we've had this lead up of all these ridiculous things happening we're like yes this is actually happening and, but like you said it's like how much of it is how much it isn't like there's the scene when he's talking to his reflection and then mm. it pops out of the mirror and starts choking him and then the camera pulls back and he's choking himself yeah. Just like they, they really fuck with you on this one. Yeah, it becomes a lot less reliable, I guess, as far as being able to trust what you see. Yeah. As, and assume that it's reality. Yeah, because there's sort of one small sequence like that in the first Evil Dead when we have the weird noises going on and all the strange camera angles, and then eventually he reaches at, out to touch the mirror and his hand plunges into it like it's liquid. There's like a little bit of that in the first one, but the second one, like the whole build up plays like that. And they can probably play with him more by virtue of the fact that it's just him there. Yeah, that's true. That there's no one else to, like, confirm or deny that that's the reality. Yeah, he's got to play off of the evil that's possessing the house and fucking with his head. Yeah. And then it sets the precedent for all of the Evil Dead series to follow Mm in how, like, they're just, the demons are just constantly toying, messing with everybody's heads. Yeah, that was always, like, the thing that I loved about the second one, because you got it so much more, is that they're demons. They want to mess with you. Like, why would they be so super serious about it? They would have fun with it, right? You get mm-hmm. to do yeah. and cause, like, create madness. Lean that... into that sort of, like, Satanism <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Like, it's chaotic. Just gotta have fun. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just, like, enjoy it. And I, I appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. I appreciated that about the second one a lot. Just the characterizations of the demons. I find as well that sort of madness, how it's so played up in the second one, really lets the sort of like Lovecraftian themes uh, come afoot. Like we have like the evil entity is established in the first one, but in this one, it's just so much like bigger, grander, that it's all in our head and whatever, that it's like we can't comprehend what it's doing, what it is, just to this, like, other level. Yeah. Fucking creepy The evil is the woods. Sorry? The evil is the woods. It's not just this, like, one discreet monster or something. Even even the the demon cam with the sound effects, it's like the evil is the wind. Like, it's it's everywhere, it's nowhere, it's amorphous, and you, you can't grasp it. It's... It's mm. just there, and it's it can pop out at any time. And this one makes that quite literal, too, where mm-hmm. we like literally see the trees getting up and walking closer right, to the house yeah. and just smashing on it <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, at that point, it makes it quite more, a lot more literal and, and, and goofy, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
No, I like that idea that they have fun with it. Like, mm-hmm. the demons, like, that you don't see that in possession movies. Like, I don't think I've seen a possession movie that's this f- That makes fun, it look like a like, riot. Like, like this tongue-in-cheek <laughs> yeah. with, with, like, the way they... Like, not even just the meta-narrative of the movie being more comedic, but, like, within the movie itself. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're not just evil for the hell of it. They're evil because they fucking love it, and they're having a blast, and yeah. you get to insight into that. So it's a... I find that... I find that point's interesting, too, because it's Evil Dead 2 comes up as like, oh, it's a comedy. It's not scary. Mm-hmm. But like pending your perspective, it is terrifying as all fuck. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's so, um, a different way. Yeah. Pl- plus, if we if we base the 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 uh, line of whether something's horror or not on, on whether it scared you, <laughs> then, you know, like any like hardened horror fan at a certain point it's like there's no horror movies because none of them scare me kind of thing they cease to exist well yeah by that logic you know for yeah. me you know the first time i saw the exorcist i was like this is supposed to be the scariest movie alive i wasn't scared so the exorcist it's yeah it's horror not a now, horror guys. movie it's a catholic movie it's a catholic movie yeah <laughs> one and the same mm, true wah, wah. <laughs> i will say that the uh ted raminess of it is great like um I, I don't think I I knew that about Ted Raimi's involvement. I knew that he was in the Henrietta makeup and all that, <laughs> but I don't think I quite appreciated as much as this last watch, where it's <laughs> yeah. just like when Henrietta pops out of the basement, <laughs> is just fucking with them. It's like that's straight up Ted Raimi. Like you could just tell you can it's see, him you in can there. Hear, you can like and it's hundred. Like his performance is fucking fantastic for that scene, but it's just so endearing i don't yeah know. <laughs> oh i love i love when he crops up in these fucking movies i knew who he was before i saw it because i was i was a big fan of like xena warrior princess and hercules yeah, of and course and yeah. so i saw this and so i also kind of went into evil dead with that like basis of like oh this is like sam raimi and everything and then His i see universe. evil dead and i'm like what the fuck is that <laughs> <laughs> Ted raimi like that it was amazing because it reminded me of his character from Xena, where he's just like, he's goofy, he's over the top, he's having fun, and I loved that scene with the mom. I think that's another reason why the sequel stuck with me, was that Ted Raimi has this way of just popping up in, like, all my favorite movies. Yeah! He's he's in fucking everything. (laughs) The dude always shows up. The way Evil Dead 2 ends is we've got... um, Bruce Campbell being sent back in fucking time. <laughs> uh, yeah, but specifically Bruce Campbell, not Ash. Bruce Campbell is sent back in time. We've been doing a lot of that lately. <laughs> um, there's a bit of a disconnect between how he's received at the end of Evil Dead 2 and how Army of Darkness picks up, but I've got to say, <laughs> Evil Dead 2's ending is like peak Ash kind of thing when he's just like there and they're all like he's the one who's gonna deliver us from the deadites hail he's just like no, no. <laughs> so fucking funny like uh and also bizarrely similar to uh the alternate ending to army of darkness army of darkness is i feel like there's a natural proge- progression from <laughs> e- like if you look at the way evil dead jumped to evil dead 2 Evil Dead 2 to Army of Darkness kind of makes a lot of sense, even though if you were to look at Evil Dead 1 and Army of Darkness, it's just like, what? <laughs> yeah, in totally. Yeah, Evil Dead 2 is the, the bridge between them. Yeah, it's them. the bridge. It's the gateway drug to Army of Darkness. 
And the uh, that Harryhausen inspired claymation stuff. Oh, I loved that. Like it was perfect just doing the Harryhausen like skeleton fight. Like I feel like this was uh, Sam Raimi coming home to roost. Like as much as in the second one he did with the Three Stooges gags so that he continued in here where it was more pronounced. This was him being like, okay, this is why I love claymation so much. It is pretty. The Army of Darkness pretty much is a Harryhausen film. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to watch it side by side uh, with what is it? Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and like Clash of the Titans. Yeah. Like yeah. it's like the overlay of those. They're so damn I'm simple. Pretty sure that like the skeleton fight he said was like directly ripped from like Jason and the Argonauts kind of thing where it's like they literally had the skeleton battle kind of thing. And it's like, we're going to do that in Evil Dead Town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was because uh, we had done um well sort of recently we've we'd done a Harryhausen film exploration mm-hmm. uh, yeah Jason and the Argonauts was the one I meant to mention that it is very very similar to that you can overlay the films mm-hmm. um, but yeah it is the skeleton stuff is like directly like the same damn thing yeah they even they almost have like the same the only thing it's missing to get super friggin nerdy in Jason and the Argonauts, they have like the skeleton jumps up on top of something or jumps over something. I can't remember what it is. And it was just really, really difficult at the time to do that. I don't remember if they do that in Army of Darkness. I don't think But so. that would be like the ultimate homage. Mm-hmm. So the time, the whole time travel thing with this one is interesting because we know that the Necronomicon, or whatever you want to call it, depending on which movie you're watching, is an ancient Sumerian text, yet he's transported to, like, medieval Europe yeah. to fight the evil. The Crusaders. Because my, my understanding when I was a kid, because I was always into that, was that the Crusaders took it and brought it to Europe because yeah. they just took everything well, from other countries. Of course. Yeah, if, if the Romans didn't, then the Crusaders probably, like, grabbed what the Romans left. That's what I thought? But I mean, that, I That's could- a good point. But yeah, it's just because it, it seems like you would think they would take you to like the origin of it or something and try to get the evil out from the root. Yeah, because it's like we have to quest for the book, and it's like it's in some shitty graveyard nearby, in somewhere in Europe. In, in yeah, Europe. and they meant I think they mentioned that it was like taken and put yeah. there for safekeeping or whatever. But yeah, and I, I, yeah, and I think like there is something to be said for the um, the setting because the. I don't know. It seems like 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 the European dead would be way, way more down with the clownery than the like hard ass ancient Sumerian like we wrote the book dead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's something at some point I realized I'm like it probably had to be in Europe because white people. Man. It's kind of like, like where it's like Jerry Lewis is only appreciated in France, kind of thing. That's like that's this with Army of Darkness. Um, also, isn't it just the biggest crime ever that they called it Army of Darkness and not the Medieval Dead? Like... As was originally, like, as it should have been, as God intended. As God intended. Uh, oh my god. Yeah, that's a shame. I'd never heard that before, but yeah. now I'm... I, I thought that was... Wrong. I'm pretty sure that was, like, one of the original titles for it, was the Medieval like Dead. title, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, feels like such a loss. I guess we should all just pour one out for the medieval <laughs> dead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Oh well. And then that would work too, be just because it like 
I don't know, a different state, like what the European, you know, middle ages, or I remember hearing in passing that like what in Europe is considered like a middle or like dark age, like something that's where not a lot of shit is happening was actually like a golden age in the Arab world, I want to say. So, you know, we use this very like Eurocentric timeline of kind of like human progress and stuff when really there was like shit going on everywhere all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like this definitely takes up the whole like sword and sandals kind of like genre filmmaking mm-hmm. thing. Like it, it definitely turns a blind eye to that kind of like yeah. historical. Which, and I wouldn't um, expect yeah. it not to. Like, I mean, it's a lot, I'm sure it's a lot easier for like costume departments and settings and all these things to make another like medieval with movie with like knights and horses and all that shit than it is to try and like be like, hmm. So ancient Samaria. I would love to see an anthropological historian just like in this movie being like, this doesn't work. <laughs> How dare they do this incorrectly? This is bullshit. <clears throat> I feel like it just, it wouldn't have worked, you know, if Ash had to go somewhere else. He just, I don't think he would have survived. Unless we're no. in, what if we're in Ash's head and he's actually in Samaria, but he just sees it as this because. Oh, so this is my frame of reference. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> so it's just Ash running around being like, I don't see race. <laughs> So he just imagines everyone is white. <laughs> oh. He would. I feel like that is like the perfect distillation of the of like when people say I don't see race, like because everyone's like me, right? <laughs> and, if, and if you're not, you're an evil demon skeleton. Yeah, like everyone I consider people at least. Mm-hmm. Huh? Oh damn! <laughs> I fucking love the extended cut, the alternate cuts ending to this like it like you were saying it just seems like it's so ash kind of thing just to uh i i have to do this very simple task <laughs> to get back to my own time and i'm gonna fuck it up all in the way that only ash can fuck it up yeah by straight up not giving a fuck in the dumbest way and <laughs> certainly yeah just knowing better know everything. yeah oh, it's too funny <laughs> it also brings it around to like the bleakness of the first one if it were just a trilogy. Yeah. But alas, there are more. Mm. Yeah, because I guess the way that it ends in the theatrical cut, uh, they've sort of retconned some of it for the TV show, but like Ash vs. Evil Dead kind of picks up with that. I think it really sets the stage for Ash vs. Evil Dead as far as really hammering in that comedy. If, if Evil Dead 2 didn't do enough of it, then Army of Darkness like absolutely is like, yep, this is what, this is what you're here for now. Mm-hmm. We're going with it. Because I've always described it kind of as, like, horror comedy, but it's, it's like, no, this is a very, like, specific, like, it's splatter comedy. Yeah, it's splatstick. Yeah, splatstick, yeah. yeah. And there's Sam, there. Sam I, yeah, I think I've heard it. I'm not sure who, who said it, if Sam Raimi said it himself or if it was, like, a critical response. But it was definitely Sam Raimi's work. Yeah. <laughs> we totally. we it definitely sets the tone for Ash vs. Evil Dead, which I think is probably one of the most genius ways they could have continued this character, <laughs> where it's like 25 years after Army of Darkness. We're going to pick this up with a new show, so let's just have him 25 <laughs> years later, and what a fucking piece of shit he's turned into <laughs> in so many ways, and it just feels so perfect. Yeah, it is specifically like Army of Darkness Ash. Yeah, he's got that bravado and stuff, but it's just like... Take Army of Darkness, hail to the King Baby Ash from the end of that, stick him in an RV in a yeah, trailer make him a park. Yeah, middle-aged dirtbag. Yeah, and it's like, this is what <laughs> we get. And I fucking love that. 
I think it also goes to show how much like fighting demons and shit can really affect you. You know that he's just he's just been like, you know what? I don't care. I'm gonna do what I want because these demons could show up whenever. So I'm just gonna live how I want. And so it's kind of you see him just like he's living his best life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is definitely a way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> been beaten down and broken so many times. He's yeah. done. One thing I thought was a stroke of genius, too, is this kicks off the problem of the series in probably my favorite way I've ever seen the initiating <laughs> incident occur in a story ever, where he's just side. really drunk, and he smoked a bunch of weed, and he's trying to impress this woman he's brought home, so he's just like, hey, you like poetry, and he just Check busts out the Necronomicon out. and starts reading from it while high. <laughs> it's like, that's so fucking ash. Such a tool. <laughs> but you'll love him you know like yeah. yes i'm like there's something very lovable about him he's seen shit so yeah you know he's broken yeah yeah that you, you make him better <laughs> would i be so bold as to call him like the quintessential baby boomer byronic hero hmm. oh my god <laughs> maybe not the quintessential but the essential <laughs> uh yep yeah. He is the boomer Byronic hero. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, one thing that they did is, uh, you'd mentioned the end of Army of Darkness and the alternate cuts sort of coming back around to the bleakness of uh, Evil Dead. And I think the show just kind of hits that so well, where we've got the extreme gruesomeness and like almost like mean streak of the first movie but mixed in, it's almost like this is the distillation of the three movies before it. Just like, we want to take the best of everything and try and make something that kind of will appeal to someone who is a fan of each of these. Mm -hmm. And it nails it on the head. (laughs) Do you have a particular favorite episode? (laughs) Uh, I always just think of that one scene in the morgue. The The morgue. It's so well done just with the special effects of the body and for me it was effective because it's watching like the takes done the camera angles and you know he's going up and then how his head pops out (laughs) and the body like you feel the weight of the body and it's just it's insane (laughs) but it looked amazing yeah amazing well because it's like feel like it was a body on top of him like mm-hmm. that he's in a body you're really affected by this well because also when he comes out he's just like you see like streaks of like stuff on his face like he's not clean after mm-hmm. and now um oh i can see her face um when he meets up with uh kelly kelly yeah kelly, when he meets up with her after she's like oh you smell like shit but it's just, they also point out the obvious in it. Like when he's saying, not the butt, not the butt. It's just. <laughs> and you see shit everywhere. Like there's not just blood. There's like fecal yeah. matter in it. And yeah. it's so gross. Like you could smell that scene. The way they cut it together was fantastic. <laughs> um, for those listening who maybe haven't seen this wonderful scene, it's season two, episode two of Ash vs. Evil Dead. It's the episode called The Morgue. <laughs> Uh, he has to find the Necronomicon that has been stashed in one of the bodies. And he finds it in this cadaver that's been, like, autopsied, like, hollowed out in the middle, right? But as he's taking the Necronomicon, the dude's 
bowels come to life, like his intestines and stuff come to life, and shoot out and start like strangling him and, and beating him like he's getting choked out by these intestines. And they start pulling him into the body and pulling the body closer to the edge of the table. So they meet by his head going up the corpse's ass. <laughs> So he can see out like, of his, like, stomach yeah. hole, like a little window. He just got, like, a dick flopping like a around on his chin yeah. kind of thing. He's just like, I'm in the butt, I'm in the butt, running around, smashing into everything. It is the most... Notorious it is a um, show. It's inspired. It is an inspired bit of splatstick. Yes. Uh, this is one of those ones that I can think of people who've watched this or this made them stop watching the show <laughs> or people that are just like, that was one of the most genius scenes I've ever seen. And I think, you know, that's like maybe the barometer. There. It says a lot about the kind of person you are, I guess. And also yeah. the kind of people we want to be friends with based on the people we yeah. know. Who's, Cause I remember we showed it to like our friend Vasca cause we, we, at like a restaurant, we were just like sitting there and they're just sitting there like, just like head on their face like holy sh- this is fucking amazing like they weren't even grossed out or like laughing they were just like this is like genius <laughs> like this is the best shit i've ever seen like your response mm-hmm. you're just praising it like it's oh i've never cinematic <laughs> <laughs> mastery this oh. is cinema pure cinema um one thing that I thought was really clever about this series, I, it's only three seasons long. My favorite is probably the second season. And what I thought was really cool about it was how it's him going back home and dealing with the fallout of the first movie in this way where it's like, yeah, you went to a cabin in the woods and you chopped up your friends. There your was sister. a demon like nobody but and everyone thing. thinks that you're just like then there's no demon. Yeah, but then like dealing with the his sister, like you said, his sister was killed in the cabin and he's returning home and everyone knows him as the the crazy person who killed his sister his friends assy slashy but that episode when they had his sister come back to reprise her role i thought that that was just like such a great melding of the movies with the show and just really bringing it to the forefront i even remember when um they like posted the promo they're like yeah, we got Ellen Sandweiss back. Like, how's that for continuity? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you, you, yeah, you did. And uh, <laughs> later in the season, there's a moment that actually, I think, speaks to the debate we were having earlier about where does Evil Dead end and Evil Dead 2 begin? Like, what's going on there? When he goes into the cabin and he finds the book sitting on, like, the bookshelf... Like, like in Evil Dead 2, you know, he finds the book just sitting there kind of thing. But in the first one, it's in the cellar. He finds it and he says something like, I thought I found this in the cellar or, <laughs> or something along those lines. Like they point out the inconsistencies yeah. as it's like almost like a goof on. It's like, wait a second. This doesn't seem quite right. <laughs> Don't they then have like alternate dimension demons or something? I was going to say it does also play with the idea of like multiple timelines and things yeah. like that. So maybe they both took place simultaneously. Yeah, because he goes back in time yeah. to, to do that. Yeah. And then we see that those stuff that happens with Ruby's character because she goes from being like a hot evil lady to a hot, slightly less evil lady in season two. And then, and then hot evil Ruby kills nice hot Ruby and just becomes evil again. And <laughs> so what we're getting at is that there is an Evil Dead multiverse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, okay, just one thing I want to say with the show is I really appreciate how they kept the makeup and the special effects of mm-hmm. the demons. Like, they, 
they tried to make it look better because they, you can. know, yeah, because you can, you have more money, you have better yeah, it's product. More polished. Exactly. Yeah. But they, they tried to keep it true to what it was before. Yeah, they like they kept the integrity of like the deadite look. Yeah. And behavior, of course. <laughs> but like that's something I really appreciated about the show, and I think that's why a lot of people loved that show was because mm-hmm. it felt like you were just watching, you know, the more recent version of like Ash. That's all it is. And yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like each iteration there's there's a really big gap between each one. These aren't sequels that came out like two years apart right. from one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's cool seeing like the generational changes from one to the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, shortly before Ash vs. Evil Dead came out and possibly something that helped to renew interest in the property and maybe got the show made uh, was the remake of Evil Dead from 2013. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and Rob Tappert all produced it. But it there was a lot of, of a different creative team behind it. Like mm-hmm. it's directed by uh, Fede Alvarez. Yeah, it's the only one that doesn't have Bruce Campbell or Ash in it. Uh, yes, it does. Okay, <laughs> it does have Bruce Campbell as Ash. Yes, but I mean, like in the sense of him leading yeah, the narrative, actually, like being like in the movie. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He is. So he has there. one line. It is groovy. <laughs> and is at the conclusion of the credits yeah. which was confusing for a while <laughs> yeah and then we got the show and it was like oh yeah <laughs> um know anyway, the shit at the end when that when that uh truck pulls up at the like farmer appellation that was didn't... just the extended cut oh okay well i think even so it should have been the classic yeah been it should have been the classic yeah we watched the extended cut of this and uh it is somehow gorier <laughs> oh yeah because so. you, you said you had to like import it from like finland or yeah something? i ordered it from finland because right, i really yeah. wanted to see it hmm. huh. that'd be cool to see yeah we should look into that it's actually available widely now like it it came out in north america as an extended cut but that was just this past like i think last halloween it came out mm-hmm. there's a lot of debate as to you know the whole remake i hate remakes i love remakes and all that kind of stuff i'm one who's just like even if I don't uh, re- like a remake, I don't have to fucking watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I've seen some bad remakes and eventually they kind of just fall to the wayside. The classics are still there and all that. However, I fucking love this remake and I am so bummed out that I slept on it when it was in theaters. Mm. Yeah, that was a fun theater going experience for the two of us. Oh, uh-huh. God. There weren't that many people in the theater, but it was like practically a midnight <laughs> showing or as close to as, you know, was possible at the time. I remember it, uh, we when we went, there was an older crowd like you got an older crowd. You had a lot of younger people as well because it's like, oh, cool. It's a horror movie. But yeah. you, you really got a sense of this is an older crowd and they clearly are fans of the original. And that was a cool experience. Oh, that's that was awesome. This remake, do you want to give a little plot? Sure. So we have um, some young, some youths going out to the woods again, and but it's taking place in pretty contemporary. Like I don't yep. think they drop a year or timeline, but like it is like more closer to two thousand thirteen than nineteen eighty, whatever. I actually have no idea when this is supposed to take place because uh, do we see a cell phone? That's what I was trying to think as I was saying. I was like, wait a second. Either way, the. Um, the purpose of going out to the cabin in the woods is not for leisure, but to help one of the main characters, Mia, kick, go cold turkey and withdraw from heroin 
heroin use was it something something some kind of some kind of drug that she has od'd multiple times they don't think she'd survive another one and so they've brought her estranged brother back and the, the team's all going in they have one of their friends is like a registered nurse or whatever so she couldn't she'd provide her the same care she'd get in hospital except actual care i guess <laughs> yeah it's, I, i've uh, heard some stories so <laughs> sure we all have i i found that aspect of it to be pretty uh, genius mm-hmm. because uh, it first off it sets up a great excuse for why they don't leave at the very first sign of trouble kind of thing because that's always coming up where it's like oh horror shit's going on why are you staying there yeah. but like, it's like we committed to this any horror shit that's going on and, and her her Mia's um, you know seeming psychosis or whatever they claim she's experiencing of seeing things out in the woods and of they say it's drug withdrawal oh it's drug withdrawal she's going she's just gone like full psychotic we just need to like knock her out for a while and it'll be fine so it kind of brings up uh, a little bit of what you were saying in evil dead 2 with the psychology being back mm-hmm. but this one it plays it through the lens of addiction and i thought it was really cool to see a movie that plays with that that wasn't just a vampire movie yeah because like <laughs> i love those but it seems like you know the addict and the monstrous, it's always done as like a vampire movie. Yeah, kind of something thing. that's like, like sucking stuff out of the life force out of people yeah. and shit like that. Whereas, yeah, this was more. Seeing it as demonic possession yeah, was like a cool turn on that because yeah. a lot of people talk about how it's like when they're on drugs, they're not themselves there, or yeah. this is who they become. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah, and also it, it it's also like kind of an interesting like play on addiction in two different ways like on one where they you know all these tropes about like oh the the addict will say say and do anything to get what they want when they need another fix that like so they're unreliable they're untrustworthy they're deceiving all these different things but also the idea of like psychic vulnerability of someone who's in the stages of addiction and perhaps being more receptive and more vulnerable to possession or to some kind of something going awry Right. In the more like supernatural sense, yeah. Um, like one thing that for me, like a connection between the remake and then the original for this was Mia's telling them she's like, "There's something out there. There's something out there," and no one's going to believe her. And that's like mimicking the sister in the beginning when she's like, "There's something in the woods. There's something there." Yeah. And everyone's just like, "Whatever, no." And Ash is like, "Uh, what do I do?" And so her brother's the same way. He's like, "Uh." what do I do? Like, right. I care about yeah. my sister, but you know, it felt like in the first one, it was almost playing on like the hysterical woman. Yeah. 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 And then, I mean, it's kind of like this again, it's like, well, she's hysterical. Like she, you know, she's going through withdrawal. So like you guys drugs. were saying, exactly. So now you can actually blame something physical for it. Instead right. of just like classic horror misogyny being like, Oh, I don't trust women. They're crazy bitches. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was an interesting kind of play. And I, I like the addiction mm. of it. So they actually gave it root in something. So it's not just like, oh, crazy woman. No, we yeah. don't believe her. Give us some sedatives. Speaking <laughs> of which, they brought those roots back too. Oh, they did bring the roots back. Mm. With a fucking vengeance. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of the roots. Oh. The branches. The um, I found this one a lot less objectionable than the first one as far as the scene with the tree goes because the first one was very crassly handed like por- pornified almost kind of yeah, thing very and uh, like and... very edgy on purpose kind of thing whereas this one didn't quite play like that for me so it sort of mirrors um 
Evil Dead 2 and Ash losing it, that it's it could be a hallucination even. Right. Oh, okay. One of like just you saying that reminded me. One of my favorite things in the whole movie is Mia when she's in her bedroom and she's talking to her brother and the expression oh. on her face. Oh, how she's she, like, talking to her, her eyes are just like not blinking. She's like, we have to get out of here. She's just like, like she, 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 yeah, she's such a good actor. Jane Levy. Yeah. Love Creepy her. He is all hell. Yeah. Yeah. So props to her. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was fantastic about this was how they relied so heavily on practical effects. Mm-hmm. Yet it was one of those things, like you'd mentioned, the ingenuity of the first one, where it's like, how did they do that for so cheap? This movie had like a budget, and there are still moments where it's like, how did they do that kind of thing? Like, the effects, the way, not just how good the effects were, but the way they shot them and cut them together. And what they show you versus what they let your brain kind of infer. Yeah. I think of the scene when they hear the sound of the nail gun going and they turn around and Natalie is like shooting the nails into her face, but she's standing in the shadow so you can't see. And then she steps out. So basically all they had to do was a makeup effect on her face and then fill it in with like lighting, staging and sound effects. So like, we don't have to see her shooting nails to her face. That's so like our imagination is filling that in. Yeah, it fills and in the blanks and plays on your sense of dread over, Oh my God, I know what's happening yeah. right now. And, and then you see the result of it, but mm-hmm. it's as if you've seen it happening because you can hear it and you can anticipate it. Yeah. We noticed that they used, uh, there were a couple of times that they use very subtle digital effects to sell this or that. Yeah. Like enhance it. Um, like they're, like, I really appreciated that where um, the visual effects in it, they are only using it when they really, really need to or when they are trying to make something just seem that much bigger. Mm-hmm. So, like, and I think that's paying homage to the to the original where it's, well, they didn't really have special or visual effects. Yeah. So they on practical effects there. And I really appreciate how it's just like, no, well, we have the visual effects and we can use it, but we're not relying on it. We are relying yeah. on this seem as real and like you could touch this and it's yeah, there. It's visceral and tangible and yeah. splattery in your face, up your nostrils, in your <laughs> into oh. all of your orifices. It's uh it was like the visual effects served the movie rather than some movies where they seem like the movies serving the visual effects budget. The, look what we can do. Like uh, I think like you know big like Michael Bay big budget things where that's what you go to those movies for is like I want to see the big explosions and the robots totally. beating the shit out of each other. That's like kind of the draw, right? Whereas that's not really necessarily no. what you're getting <laughs> or wanting when you go to an Evil Dead movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, interesting that you bring up Michael Bay. Because as watching the beginning of it, it does very much play out like one of those Michael Bay produced remakes. Oh, like those Platinum Dunes things? Yeah. Yeah, until it like deviates into like it, it plays that and then it starts like subverting it and how like how Mia's played versus how like just different events play out that it's not in that very tropey uh, yeah. bay bay. <laughs> view vision yeah bay way, vision. whatever mm-hmm. we're not in the bay area is what you're saying <laughs> thank That's god it. for that <laughs> yeah. with the characters in this where you know in the first one you get ash and it's it's all level where we all get a little bit of the characters but it's scotty that's kind of like he's not necessarily an asshole but he's a little more um <clears throat> self-serving at least yeah but then, and you get then Ash is kind of that character, but he still helps in the second one. And the same thing in the in Army of Darkness, like he doesn't necessarily want to help, but he still helps. 
then in the and then in this remake, it is I hated the character of Eric. I <laughs> of the point that, like he yeah. is a complete asshole. Reading the book, he doesn't tell anyone what he's doing. Oh, he's a fucking like. Dick. Like, he keeps everything to himself, and he's like, oh, it's telling me not to read it. I'm going to read it. And then later he comes in to like, oh, I think I know what's going on. And it's like, you, god damn it. So, yeah, so I was going to say, it's fitting that he seems to get by far the worst grievous <laughs> bodily punishment throughout the movie. Well, yeah, and and I appreciate how, well, I guess it's also playing on the whole part of like, Oh, the guy, you know, he thinks like, whatever, he can't do any wrong. And then he's the cause of everything happening. Like if he just swallowed his pride and everything was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't read this book. Like it's telling me. Yeah. Maybe things would have been okay for all of them. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I just find it interesting how it's the guy that screws everything up. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool how it plays to the women are like punching bags, like in the previous well, like the first two, well, like and the third, uh, the third's bad at that. But then we get that ending that just like flips it all. I love the flip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, all that stuff's called out. That like they were punching bags. That guy Eric is a dick. Mm-hmm. But then look who rules the day. Yeah. Well, I guess who wins out. I guess in the end, you do see that, like Eric, even yeah, when he's like. Match. He should be dead by now. He still tries to help in the end. So it's like, I guess there maybe is that like potential redeeming quality where he could have just cowered and tried to leave, but he still does try to help in the end. So I guess there is that little bit of like redeeming quality to him that he helps in the end. But then I guess he does stab uh, her brother in the neck, you know, with with those pliers. Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe that doesn't really help. But when he was alive after he tried, I guess, I don't know. I'll say one thing that made me think of the first movie, like my experience of watching the first movie with this, is this movie, the gore scenes, some of them make me cringe to this day. Like they still get it. Like the, I, I, I think of those feelings the first time I saw the first Evil Dead where I'm like, oh, this is so extreme. Like this is, I, this is so visceral. What the hell? Like it brings it back to that. I think of the one that always fucking gets me without fail, and I see you just are cringing at this, is when the machete comes through the wall and slices her knee. And then I was just, thinking of the box cutter. Oh, okay, because the one with the knee where he pulls out oh, your drag yeah. kind of like, thing on the metal, it. it's just like dragging across her knee, it's just like, yeah, that face you're making, like the whole time <laughs> I'm just like, ugh. But yeah, the box cutter's pretty gross, too. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, tremendously. <clears throat> hmm God. Yeah, uh, we almost watched it with a friend of ours who's never seen it before. This is perhaps coming up, and I am so excited to, like, like if we get around to watching this movie together, I'm not even going to be watching the movie. I'm going to be perched on my seat, just, like, eating popcorn, like, watching the reactions and all these different yeah. scenes. Um, <clears throat> oh, one thought. Um, so, because, I mean, it was something Chris and I were talking about. Well, it was, like, a something you had brought up. Um, so with like our demon cam. <clears throat> yes. And so in the first one, it feels like it is a thing, you know, going through the woods, going over water, going along these twigs and everything and coming towards the house. But it, it felt very real. It didn't feel like, you know, either done digitally or like a drone or something right. like that. And but that was something that 
I noticed in the remake, in the 2013 one, that I didn't find as effective. It's so smooth as well. Like, it loses some of that chaotic, like, like this demon energy is just behind the camera. Like, yeah. So I guess that's, like, my one complaint. Um, I mean, that's also being, like, very, very nitpicky. But, uh, But I think that's, like, the one thing. Yeah, I feel like it also felt a little more tacked on, sort of, in that it was, like... It doesn't play as big a role in throughout the movie. Like it pretty much disappears once the uh, action in the cabin starts happening. Whereas we always got these shots throughout the other ones of the demon sort of circling the cabin, watching. Like it was kind of always present, always watching them, and it just sort of falls out in this one. Like it felt more like a we're doing an Evil Dead movie, so we're gonna use this shot for this sequence because obviously, yeah, as opposed to like this is the next demon we got the demons in the cabin but there's still the demon outside i appreciated um a couple of shots in particular watching the remake this time through there's a shot where david gets thrown against a wall and it's he's thrown against the wall like the framing everything it's like ripped right out of one of the movies i think yeah Mm -hmm. But there's like there's a lot of little moments like that that if you're a fan like you get the exact shot in a in a novel way. Mm-hmm. Very like Halloween 2018. Yes. With that, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that throughout the movies mm-hmm. where they play on like this happened in this one. Now you get it kind of different. You get it kind of different. Get it kind of different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like um, I'm pretty sure in uh the first one, don't we get a shot of like the turkey carver? cutting the roast beef kind of mm-hmm. thing or like there's a scene where they're cutting the roast beef and then it actually plays a part in the remake mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of like there's a lot of easter eggs in it mm. fuck they're fun movies yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i i was not i did not feel uh hard done by or put out doing the watching for this God, week's no. episode mm-hmm. it's funny we uh Rewatched Evil Dead, and then like the next day, you went and picked up tickets for us to go see Evil Dead at the uh metro in like five weeks kind of with the new score yeah it's the 4k restoration with the new score and everything like that yeah cool they have the original guy who because he said that evil dead was like his first job ever so he's come back after all these years of experience and is rescoring the movie and it's all restored in 4k and shit like that (laughs) that's awesome Awesome. i wouldn't be surprised if it comes to toronto because it's doing like the sort of like touring i'm actually gonna make a note to (laughs) to that Oh, you can go with more. Maybe you'll find it. Buda- Budapest is a big place, too. Oh, yes. So, Evil Dead movies. What is everyone's favorite? Oh, fuck. Like, where would you put these movies if you had to sort of, like, uh, rank them? Yeah. Mine is by far Evil Dead 2. <clears throat> that is my favorite, like, by such a margin. Hmm. I like the so- like how solitary it is. <clears throat> like, yeah. for so long. Mm-hmm. How it's Ash's descent. <clears throat> I mean, because I, I think I had seen, like, I'm trying to also remember when I had seen Army of Darkness. And I think I saw Army of Darkness before the two. Because, I, I again, I was, like, I was huge into the later works of Sam Raimi with, again, Xena and Hercules. And I feel like Army of Darkness really appealed to me because it had that kind of feel to it. The right. so historical element and stuff. Yeah, and so I think there's that weird sort of, like, attachment to that film for me. It's also mm-hmm. super fun. Yeah, and, and it feels like it's super goofy, and and I know a lot of people would be like, you're a fool for liking Army of Darkness <laughs> over the other two. Um, I mean, I still love the other two. 
I think, though, that Evil Dead 2 I like more than the first one. And I think it was just because of how I experienced it. Right. Um, And I think Evil Dead 2, it would be like Army of Darkness and very, very, very close Evil Dead 2. So kind of like reverse order going. Yeah. Yeah, I'm stuck between like two and one for my favorite, I think. And just just because I I like them for like such different reasons that it's hard to kind of quantify them in a way that you can make it fair comparison right I, yeah oh that's <laughs> tough i'm gonna think on that more how about you <laughs> i'm gonna be controversial everyone knows that like one is my favorite yeah. i do controversial and say that i like the remake almost as much like i yeah. would put the remake way up there um and then i would put evil dead 2 and ash vs evil dead sort of on par for yeah. me yeah and so my least favorite is probably army of darkness but that feels so shitty to say because I fucking love that movie. Like, the whole series, I think, is just, like, top-notch, but mm-hmm. it's one of those things where... Um, it sets the bar so high that the lowest, relatively speaking, it is still, like, It's still amazing. better than, like, most movies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and this is exactly why quantifying things falls apart. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was fun to just sort of kick back and pick apart these movies that we've held dear for so long. Before I let you go completely, one thing we like to do is, uh, at the end of episodes, we recommend something for people to to check out if they want to do some further watching. So, um, is there any particular horror movie that's meaningful to you, or something that you just think would be great, that if a listener hasn't seen it, doesn't matter if it's super popular or super obscure, but if a listener hasn't seen it, they should watch it, or if they have, maybe it's worth a rewatch? Mine would be Candyman. If you have not seen that, see that goddamn movie it is amazing Uh quite possibly my favorite horror movie ever yeah otherwise for very different reasons i would maybe this one's lesser known to check out night of the creeps oh yeah i don't know why i love that movie so much but i am absolutely obsessed it's super fun Uh it's very um very ec and it's just like and then with like the weird layer of um john hughes but mm-hmm. a horror movie oh yeah for like the beginning of it they play in that playground for a while yeah and then it just like it's very genre bending yeah how about uh you kelsey i mean i talked about it at the beginning um the thing holds like that very special place for me and it's also i guess after kind of to a degree being kind of in the industry i have such an appreciation for practical effects Right. And the amount of work that went into that. And I mean, I, I'm in love with Kurt Russell. There's also that, which Chris totally understands. Very Forever to in his yeah. shadow, yeah. which is fine. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of- <laughs> I mean, even his shadow is beautiful. The silhouette is easy to appreciate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but like that, that film, if you haven't seen it, the thing it is, I mean, it's, terrifying seeing something that can just recreate you but it's also because it just feels very real because it's all practical that one too just watching that when it's dark out late at night can be uncomfortable because then you leave and you're just like i don't know if that's real or not is that a person is that dog actually a dog yeah you've gone from being terrified of huskies to wanting them so wishing to care for them loving them yes (laughs) well you know Maybe a little Stockholm Syndrome kind of thing going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> that must be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think even that's my all-time favorite movie as well. Not even just horror, but like all-time cool favorite. Yeah. I think going off the discussion, maybe I'll recommend Drag Me to Hell. Drag Me to Hell? Yeah, but just because of the, it's, it, the tonal similarities... Yeah, it's a good extension of like what said like it was like sort of a return to splat stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's that definitely that goofy aspect, but there is still some, you know, scary shit happening, monstery right. type evil presence and whatever. So I think yeah, I think that's that fits along in the Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. Cool. Pretty nicely. And then uh, my recommendation is gonna be that everyone who fucking slept on it go out and watch Ash vs. Evil Dead, like immediately. Like that show got canceled because people weren't watching it and people were bootlegging it and whatever the fuck. Yeah. And also because stars sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it's like that show is so, I feel criminally underseen. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us today. This was a lot of fun and uh, I look forward to maybe doing this again in the future at some point. Hopefully in the near future. Yeah. This just uh, kicks off our October, but we have plenty of uh, other cool episodes coming up. We've got some more guests planned as well. So hopefully people will actually stay tuned. I mean, they are so far, so let's hope they keep with it. Yeah, hope this is the, hopefully this isn't the dud that sinks in. No! <laughs> no, I think we've recorded way worse episodes than this, so don't worry. <laughs> cool. Okay, take it easy. And keep it sleazy. Yay! <laughs>